Welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my wonderful co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Rossi? Um, not too bad, not too bad. I don't have anything clever to say, which is fairly common for me, but yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right. Well, fantastic. Well, I'm glad we're doing all right. It's better than any alternatives. So we're going to do some questions today from you, our listeners. And as always, if you have questions for the podcast, please feel free to send them in. You can send them to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. That's singular, podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Uh, or you can go ahead and hit us up on our Discord channel. We have a patron section for uh, Q and podcast questions, and we do pull several of them from there. Uh, and also, you can also throw them at us on Twitter if you don't want to do either of them. Uh, or at least throw them at me. I'm more than happy to receive them. And actually, our first one is one that was pulled from Twitter, and you can hit me up at LoderZJ, L-O-D-U-R-Z-J, or ping them at the Blizzard Watch Twitter account, and I'll grab them when we can. So our first question comes from Crycheck, otherwise known as Kirby. Uh, are the spirits sent to the Kyrian destined to eventually look like members of the Blue Man group? And I, this one I'm going to turn over to Matt, because Matt's been playing in the Alpha. So what do you got for us? There's a quest where you, at one point, you're sent to help uh, Kyrian aspirant who's having difficulty letting go of their past. Because one of the processes the Kyrian go through as they become aspirants is they have to release their attachments to their previous life. And as you do this, you realize that the Kyrian, and you see him as a Kyrian, he's, he's blue, he's got the curly mop, he's a straight up Kyrian. But as you see the memories, you realize this Kyrian is a torrent. Like, all the friends and family and memories he has are of Torin. He's a oh. Torin. And, but he's, he's become this as he's progressed through the Aspirant ranks. And I don't want to spoil his own for anybody, but that becomes an issue as you go through. That's, that's a key part of the story of the area, is that idea that the Kyrian have previous lives that they're expected to let go of. And so that's that much I'll say. So in a sense, yes, that is where it's not destined so much as it's achieved, but that's where they're going. That's of ultimately spirits of like an orc or a tauren or a troll or a human or a dwarf or, or a draenei or whatever spirits that show up in Bastion. If, if they're deemed worthy to become Kyrian will eventually all look like the winged blue skinned angel people. That's where they're going. Interesting. I wonder if that's, uh, well, I guess a follow-up question then, and possible spoilers, so, you know, you've been warned out there. But I know that we talked about this last week or the week before, where one of the first lore folks you meet in Bastion you were talking about was Uther. Does mm -hmm. he remember his past life? Because he, uh, like, the, the data mind model looks very already in process. Yeah, it's part of the storyline. Ah, okay. I will I will say that much. I'm not going to say what you get. Keep in mind, too, that all we see about Bastion is the first... You level up to about 53, and then you're sent to go to the like to go to Ouroboros and effectively unlock the, uh, the, the hub city. And, of course, that's not in the alpha yet. So I have not seen past that. And so you don't, if you, there's like the whole storyline, if you join the Kyrian as your, as your group, if you make them your covenant, you'll see more. And I'm, I'm sure Uther is involved in that, but that I have not seen. The story you see right now takes you through like three levels from 50 to 53 and it unlocks the basic idea of the zone and, and you get a sense of it. And then you're sent to go to Ouroboros. And then of course, since the previous, you know, that's all the content there is currently on the alpha, you then you're done. And Revendreth, you start at level 57. If you do, if you're in the alpha and you want to go to Revendreth, you start a character at level 57 so you can do Revendreth. Hmm. And they not you. You don't take your level 53 character from Bastion to Revendreth. You just start a new character so you can go see Revendreth. The two are not connected. You don't like you're not like level 53 and then you go to Revendreth at level 54 because Revendreth is set up for like 57 and up. It's very much 
uh, a very linear story. So I can't actually answer any specifics about that because I haven't seen it. But I know that it is part of the story that I've seen so far. I know that Uther is involved. That's definitely very interesting. I'm wondering, too, if how that's going to play in with players if they choose to to have that as their covenant, like if that's going to be something that they maybe get an aesthetic effect. Because I know we've seen some of the armor as well. Um, but I'm wondering if there's going to be some tie-in where, like, you get, like, a blue shader to whatever your race is. I think that would be interesting. Not sure if, how you feel about that, but I think it would be an interesting flavor thing. I play a Night Elf and a Draenei. I'm already blue. Oh, oh yeah, you got that covered then. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 are you going to highlight me? What are you going for here? <laughs> Maybe a soft blue glow. All right. Well, thanks, Kirby, for the question. Um, our next one comes from Celeritus. Celeritus, Celeritus. I apologize if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. If you want me to pronounce it correctly, make sure you give us the phonetic uh, pronunciation of your names. That, that's helpful. Uh, hi, guys. First, thank you for keeping my days entertaining while being stood in the back of a potato harvester 11 hours a day. Well, thank you for harvesting potatoes for the rest of us to consume. Appreciate that. Uh, I was wondering, do you think the Jailer is one of, if not the, most powerful entity in the WoW cosmos? The sheer difference in power Sylvanas has gained from him is so much bigger than any previous character has been powered up. She dispatched of Bolvar with ease. To add some perspective, a weakened Arthas Death Knight, not even the Lich King yet, managed to beat an Illidan who is juiced on fell energy. So surely when Arthas became the Lich King, he was exponentially more powerful than when he beat Illidan, meaning that Bolvar should still be in that power range, even without Frostmourne. Also, on a separate issue, with Sargeras not being able to complete his noble quest of cleansing the universe, what do you think the chances are of one of the expansions being based around a completely void-corrupted titan? Cheers, and guys, looking forward to the next podcast. Uh, so two questions in there, so I guess we'll start with the first one. So the Jailer is the as one of the most powerful entities in the cosmos. What do we think about that? Uh, I think that he probably is, but that's got nothing to do with the, the argument here isn't valid. Um, Sylvanas didn't get that much more powerful. She's more powerful. Yes, absolutely. But you're mistaking the power level that we're at and the power level that these characters display. It isn't necessarily always power level. Um, here's an example. Deathwing could kill any of them in yep. one go. Yep. He would be. He would literally, if Arthas in full death in the full "I am the Lich King" mode went up against Deathwing, Deathwing would have crushed him. It wouldn't even have been a fight. And that's the case for a lot of these things. It's not that Arthas was much was you know just so much more powerful than Illidan. It's that Arthas was desperate and committed and had the full attention of the Lich King. Whereas Illidan was demented and knew he was being hunted by, you know, kill Jaden and desperate to finally get this thing done that he'd been trying to do and kept getting stopped on. It isn't always about which character is stronger. It's about, you know, the, the needs of the narrative. So, I don't think you can just look at right. I honestly think that even as powerful as she is, if Deathwing still existed in Sylvanas, you know, in her full, I just beat Bolvar mode had gone up against him. He'd have crushed her. Yeah. For and, that and, matter, I think Nazoth is more powerful in terms of raw power. Nazoth, Nazoth, who is the least of the old gods could probably have just destroyed her. That's it's not about power. It's about strategy and tactics and power. It's an aspect of it, but it's not everything. And so, is she more powerful now than she was? Absolutely. She's got a new source of power that is this, the souls that she's feeding to the Maw. She's getting empowered by the Jailer. Absolutely. Do I think the Jailer is powerful? Yes, extremely powerful. I honestly believe he's very, very powerful. But I don't think it's as easy as, well, this character... It's not Pokemon. You know, um, Bolvar doesn't have, like, a weakness to Grass-type, you know, and Sylvanas <laughs> used that against it. It's just... You know, he didn't know what she was bringing to the table. And also, you got to think, I keep looking at everything Bolvar did and keep thinking to myself, he didn't really defend himself very effectively. No, he didn't. You know, he didn't prepare. And it's like, that's not very Bolvar. 
Yeah, I was worried. About, I was actually curious about that, too. And like, this is something we talk about a lot, which is the needs of the narrative outweigh the logic of the power creep sometimes. Um, but how and I asked this question when we first saw the cinematic uh, way back when and this was before Anne uh, was was doing her thing. I asked the question, why wasn't there anything between her and Bolvar? Because even if she were to make her way entirely through the Citadel, you go flying around there, even after Bolvar's taken over, there's Frostworms, there's Death Knights, there's a legion of undead that still serve him uh, in some capacity or another, because he hasn't released the Scourge to go be a Scourge, he's still keeping them under his control, and they're still all around that area. And I, I, I was wondering why there wasn't even like a nod to that in the cinematic of even if there was undead bodies laying everywhere or something like that, something that indicated that there was a fight to get there. It just seems like she's a lot like there. And again, that could be a narrative thing purely, which, you know, I can accept and that's, that's 100% honest about it. But again, that's not very Bolvar. And we've talked about this a lot. Bolvar's a general. He's a strategist. He understands how to win fights, not just by being the most powerful, but by being a commander, knowing how to position, you know, pieces of whatever battle he's working with. And if he knew she was coming, which it seemed like he did, at least to a certain degree, why wasn't there more preparation? But to go back to the original question... She is very, very powerful now. She's always been powerful. And as we've been playing this game, Sylvanas definitely increased in power probably like before the Jailer was ever in the equation. But that doesn't necessarily mean that she is the most juiced up, super powerful baddie that we've ever experienced. As Matt's pointed out, we've had Nazoth, we've had Deathwing, we've had all of these other beings that could definitely crush her. And we've beaten and, and them... Go, ahead. go go ahead. I was going to say, we've beaten them. Say, but it's always been strategy or a trick or something that we've we've done to sort of do it. Even in the final things with Nazoth, and again, spoilers if you haven't already seen the, the end cinematic for the fight, it's literally leveling the power of all of the Titan facilities, focusing it through the heart chamber into Nazoth. We don't actually beat him. We just basically outlast him long enough to get him to a point where he can be shot with a giant space laser of Titan heart energy, right? Like it, it's, it's a weird scenario and in, in, in concept as far as that goes, like we don't beat him technically Azeroth does. You know what you're going to say? Yeah. I was just going to say too, I am not trying to downplay what ha the difference between these two fights. When Sylvanas attempted to go one-on-one -on -one with Arthas as the Lich King, he did, he ignored her. Like he straight up ignored her. She couldn't do anything to him. Mm -hmm. And I'm, you know, if you did that five man, I am not trying to take away the difference. Uh, I do think Bolvar had less grasp on and less experience with the power of the Lich King than Arthas did at that point. And I think also Frostmourne plays into that a little bit too, though. Yeah, I do. I do actually think that that's the case. Yes, but I, I'm willing to say yes. It's true that Arthas, as the Lich King, ignored her. Like she, she couldn't even scratch his paint job. Like he was chasing her through the halls of, of, of ice crown. And she could, all she could do is run and try and shoot her way through ice walls. That's not in question. I am not arguing that what she did, she displayed a clear and extreme grasp of a much higher power level than she did when in that fight. But also look at how diffident Bolvar was in that fight. Like he doesn't immediately try to crush her with like the you know the power of the Lich King, he just sets his hammer on fire and goes after her. He he doesn't use the power anywhere near the way Arthas did. Arthas, when you you go up and do the last fight on the top of Icecrown Citadel, Arthas is doing like all he's like exploding the floor, throwing void zones around. He's just you know he is really going for it. And I do think there's a narrative thing to be analyzed here. In that, what is Bolvar doing? What is his attention? What is his intention? And I honestly feel like 
I don't think Bolvar expected her to ruin the helmet straight up. I don't think that he mm. thought that's what she was going to do. I kind of almost feel like he kind of wanted to see if she would put it on. See, I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know. If, I, don't I, know, know if... I don't know if I agree with it either, but it's something I'm thinking about. I, uh, like one possibility is that he actually did know she was going to wreck it. And that that's kind of where like, I've been thinking about that for a little bit too is, and I've been trying to struggling with this ever since like I noticed that there wasn't much more of a fight than just those two. There wasn't much of a lead up is did he actually want her to destroy it? And this goes back to the thinking about Bolvar. If he understands that the jailer is the ultimate enemy and that has to be undone in order to fix everything that's happened, that's absolutely insight he would have since the time he put on that helmet, since the time he well, sat on that throne. It, it, he's even mentioned like seeing the true enemy, right? Like that's that's a thing. And while it's cryptic and we always thought it was Sargeras, maybe that's what he was referring to. And maybe this is part of that gold, maybe because he can't destroy the helm, right? He doesn't have that power scale. He can't necessarily go to that pocket of the Shadowlands because any souls he ferries over or or works with are just consumed in the Maw. They don't have a way out yet. Maybe that was part of the plan. Maybe destroying the helm, letting the helm get shattered like that to break the barrier between worlds so that he could shove the heroes of Azeroth in to do like what he can't do necessarily. Maybe that's all part of his game. It's something I thought about for a while and it is not, I don't have an answer to you, but I definitely think that there are levels and elements to that fight that aren't as straightforward as again, as a Pokemon battle, this isn't just, you know, Bolvar screwed up and went up against somebody who, who had his number. Uh, that being said, I do think Sylvana straight up beat him. And mm-hmm. I know, I don't think that, I don't think that was fake or he threw it. I just think that he kind of knew that it was going to happen. And he, rather than rather than throw his forces into a meat grinder that would just would have prolonged the confrontation, he chose to allow it to happen sooner. But we'll see. Uh, I, I do think, though, you got to always remember, like one example is like right now, Sargeras is in a pocket being eternally you know, whacked in the face by Illidan. Sardaris and Illidan are not even close to the same power level. <laughs> nope. You know, Sargeras could step on Illidan and continue on his way. I mean, this is a being who you saw how big he was when he showed up. He was about like half the size of Azeroth itself, the whole planet. We still have so, a reminder of how big he is. There's a giant sword still sticking to the planet. So a lot of times it isn't power. It's, it's, it's circumstance. It's situation. It's how much you can bring to bear. It's a million things like that. Yeah. Now for the second part of the question or the second question in this uh, statement from we actually got asked that last week, though, we did. And that's what I was going to say. It's one of those things we get this question a lot. And I don't want anybody to think that we're ignoring it or not going to keep answering uh, your questions because of it. But here's the thing. We don't know. We don't know what's out there. We don't know if we're going to see a void corrupted Titan at some point. Uh, we don't know what the state of the universe is. We can assume that Sargeras did some work, but again, we actually, this is one of those few things we don't even have enough to speculate on because they haven't said anything as like one way or another. So maybe, maybe not. There's at least like we, we know from the, uh, Nighthold raid, there's at least one world that's completely given void into consumed. the void. Yeah. We don't know if that world had a, a world soul in it. Yeah, and we don't know if that's what my speculation of it being Koresh. We don't know if that's true or not. We have no yeah, we have no idea. And if it is Koresh, we don't know if Koresh had a world soul in it. Yep. Um, and we don't know what the fate of that world soul would be when what happened to Koresh happened. Because if Koresh got hit with a cataclysmic you know, confluence of power, not just void power, but also arcane power, uh, the two collided and effectively ripped the, the. It basically destroyed the physical forms of the ethereal people. Like they had bodies before. They they weren't just you know wrapped up energy essences. They were people. They had bodies, and those all those bodies got annihilated. And it was only the ones who were within some kind of arcane protection who even managed to survive to the point that they did. Like those are the people. The, the ethereals you see now were the ones who were protected. Yeah. So they, their souls existed, you know, survived the experience. 
I don't know what happened to the ethereals who weren't under protection. And even then, I like we only have small indications of what happens with the ones that were protected, survived, and then decided to start messing with void energy. Yeah, like, we don't. There's really like very little to go on here uh, in terms of that. I, I honestly don't think we're going to see a void Titan for a while if we ever do, just because I don't think that that's the direction that it feels like World of Warcraft does not feel like it's going into that direction. Uh, it's for instance, Shadowlands is another dimension, but it's still hooked around the ones that are important to Azeroth to some degree. It's not like we're in Shadowlands as an expansion. We are not going to see the whole of the Shadowlands. Mm-hmm. Like for one thing, if you go on the alpha and you look at the map, there's clear that there's a lot more space that is not being used on that map. That is like literally this point, this point, this point, this point, this point. And then there's a whole lot of nothing that, you know, who knows what's there. The Shadow, Shadowlands as an expansion is interesting because it's the first time that, that World of Warcraft has done something with so much bolt-on expandability. This is an expansion that could be five times as big as it is. Oh yeah, easily. And and just, just looking at the map, you could fill in all these areas. You could have a bunch of other Shadowlands just show up. This We could be playing Shadowlands for five years because they could keep adding new <laughs> Shadowlands to it. I'm not yeah. saying that they're going to do that, but I'm saying that that's the, the just looking at the map, that's the amount of room they've got going. Well, not even that. Like, if you look at it from, like, a, um, I, I want to say a meta standpoint, but the addition of the Shadowlands and that sort of subdivision also lends that sort of same thought process to everything else in the cosmology, right? Like, you have these realms of order, these realms of, of fell, these realms of, of pure arcane, like this is something that could be applied to any of those. And it sort of opens up the cosmology in a huge manner. And like you said, it's this infinite expandability and it's something that I, we we've talked about this before where they plant seeds, you know, in expansions past for story that's going to come later uh, or they pick something back up or they, they, they spend the time to sort of seed it. They've been doing this since, Wrath of the Lich King, really, since Death Knights were a playable race or class, excuse me, when we started first seeing touches of the Shadowlands and then starting to see these touches of all these other realms, like even the Emerald Dream, like that was something that was planned from the very, very beginning. And we saw touches of that leading up to actually going into it. Well, now we're starting to see like with Shadowlands. That's a massive, I wouldn't even say it's a seed at this point. That's like taking like a sapling and planting it and going, here you go. Because there's so much they can do with it. It really opens it up. They can go anywhere. And the real cool thing about it, and we've talked about this before, is we're starting to get to this point where they're sort of, I don't want to say reaching the end point of a bunch of storylines, but they're starting to tie up a bunch of loose ends so that they can go do things that aren't necessarily tethered to stuff that's come before. Like, we don't have to worry about something that happened 15 years ago anymore, necessarily. This could be something that happened a year ago or something that ties in recently within the last few months. And that's really exciting because that, from a speculation standpoint, it makes it real hard for us to guess where they're going to go. But from a player standpoint, I really am excited about that. I want to know where they're going to go. I want to see where they're going to go with it. So we... All that to say, we don't know if we'll ever see a Void Titan. We might, we might not, but the possibility is certainly there now with everything else because now it's just an endless possibility salad going on with the cosmology. All right, our next question. Hi, Blizzard Watchers. Perhaps I might have missed it during your many insightful discussions, but is the Shadowlands a death realm that spans across the entirety of the known universe, or is it a death plane confined to the world and creatures of Azeroth? Based on your path, past discussions of assuming dead orcs from Draenor would be appearing in the Shadowlands, poor Sarfang joking aside... I am left to conclude that the Shadowlands spans across the universe. Extrapolating further from this, then, would it be reasonable to assume that the Shadowlands is the Death Realm for all things, including parallel universes as well? Uh, example, alternate Draenor from Warlords of Draenor. Uh, Tidarian, Void Elf Priest from Bronzebeard. Uh, thanks for that question, and that actually ties in with what we were just talking about. So, I mean, Matt, go for it. What do you got? Well, we do know that they, it's considered that the Shadowlands, plural, is spans all worlds that's been stated before it's actually 
it's been it's mentioned a few times. It's mm-hmm. not something that we have a lot on, but we know that the Shadowlands exist as a plane of existence that spans everything, much in the same way that the Fell does. The Fell touches all worlds, um, much as you know other things do. There are other planes of existence that do the same thing. That doesn't mean that the ones we're going to do that, but it doesn't mean that they don't either. It's it's not something we can really. When you get to Bastion, one of the things they do is immediately ask you what world you come from, and they write it down in a book. It's they have a book that talks about all the various worlds that the that the people from Bastion come to, and it's it's not like you actually see a whole bunch of different souls from different worlds showing up. But the premise is essentially made that yeah, this this place it it spans the universe. Um, that that each you know that there's so many different plane, like subplanes. I don't know what else to call them, realms, pocket uh, whatever planes. you want to call. Them. Pocket dimensions. Oh. They're, millions they're, called of realm, they're called realms in the expansion. Uh, <laughs> like Bastion, Ardenweald, Revendreth, and Maldraxxus are considered uh, ruling realms. They're important to the ultimate maintenance of the Shadowlands. There are apparently countless others, and we we don't see them. Like we just get to see those four plus Oribos, which is like its own plane, and the Maw, which is like the the garbage dump of existence. It's where the worst go. And until recently, now just everybody goes to the Maw, which is like you know, yeesh, not great. But that's the basic premise here. Uh, so. Yeah, uh, theoretically, you could see souls from other worlds. I don't know about alternate timelines. That's where you start getting, I don't know. I don't know how that works. The thing is, is that alternate, I think the one we were talking about is Gul'dan. Yeah. For example, uh, alter, alternate Gul'dan died on our Azeroth. So I don't know, <laughs> you know, I don't know where his soul would and- go. I don't if, and technically, if, we're still linked by the Dark Portal to that Azeroth as well. What does that mean? That's still yeah, technically I, open and active. I, I don't know if, like, you know, alternate Draenor is considered part of an entire alternate universe that has its own alternate Shadowlands. I don't know the answer to that question. Um, they, they've been weird about that kind of thing before. For instance, they made it clear that the demons that showed up on that Draenor were the same demons we'd seen. They weren't alternate versions of them. They were the same guys. And that's really hard to get your head around, mm-hmm. uh, but that is what they stated. So, I, to answer your question, it's possible that that even the alternate Draenor is connected to our to the same Shadowlands. The Shadowlands definitely do span the cosmos. They are a they are a plane of existence. They they are not just it's not just Azeroth's afterworld. It is the afterworld of every place that touches it, and every place touches it. So that's that's made clear in Bastion. And, and the interesting thing for me about that with that is sort of in mind is that that ties in with a little bit of the other stuff we were chatting about, which is opening up possibilities, because if this is the death realm for everything, which like Matt saying, they're very clear about that it is, then that means that there's almost an infinite level of subdivision or almost an infinite level of possibilities for where it touches and what you can go to and touch and do through the realm. So it could lead us to, you know, actually finding out the history of certain things uh, or different characters and seeing characters that we never got to really interact with. Like, you know, am I going to run into Broxigar? Because that would be cool, like to me. I mean, there's Ronin somewhere running around screaming about, you know, citizens of the Ardenwild will raise your eyes to the sky or whatever. You know, the thing is, the problem is that you you forget that Broxigar is currently in a vault uh, being, you know, completely bathed in fell energies for the past 10,000 years to create the ultimate champion of Sargeras so that when Sargeras needs to be freed so that we can have the next expansion with the Legion, uh, you know, Broxigar the Red will show up and smash his prison free and serve as, like, the Herald of Galactus for Sargeras. <laughs> I, I, I kind of want that, actually. That would be kind of interesting i think a lot of people would be real mad (laughs) i think they would be too uh but besides that i think it would be very interesting to see how this sort of why how this is going to matter because the fact that they've they've stated as such and they've made that very clear 
it makes it feel like that's going to have a bearing on something later on, or it's going to play into something somehow. And I'm, I'm very curious to see how that actually plays out. Um, but yes, I think that the only weird curveball is going to be the parallel universes and how that sort of affects it. But I wouldn't be surprised if those parallel universes are being pulled into whatever our Shadowlands is simply because it's anchored to our reality. And that sort of goes back to the whole infinite dragon flight thing, right? If they're able to open up a portal to or or know how to get the portal to reach out to an alternate dimension or alternate pocket reality or split the timeline or or pull the whole, you know, we put the almanac back in 1985 type trick, you know, does that mean that all of those because they are branches off the main timeline, I think that that might mean that they're all sort of part and parcel with the same universe, right? Like it's a pocket dimension inside of the universe. It still has its own effect and whatever, but it does mean that we might see duplicates of, of deceased souls, uh, maybe possibly interacting with their living counterparts. If everything is linked, which honestly I think would be very, very interesting and could be some very cool storytelling if they do. All right. Greetings watchers. I'm curious about one story thread in battle for Azeroth. I was very excited when I got to do the quest line where I retrieved, then did the bidding of my Naifu, Zalatath, even if she did ditch me at the end to pursue her own interests. I'm sure we'll be crossing paths again soon enough. What I'm uncertain about is the chain of events involving the blade itself. From what I understand, the blade became the possession of Nazoth, then somehow ended up with Nathanos, then something 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 Rathion puts one of Nazoth's eyes with it right before we lasered him into oblivion. Do we know exactly what happened to the blade between Zalatath ditching it for uh, hot new digs and Rathion using it while showing off his parkour skills? Thanks, Spry Sprocket from Proudmoore. Actually, the blade didn't become the possession of Nazoth. He had no interest in it. Correct. Uh, the Horde hero brings it. The Horde hero who does this quest line brings it to Sylvanas. So you did. If you played Horde, you gave the knife to her, and Sylvanas then gives it to Nathanos because she's made a deal with Ashara. Like Nazoth completely ignored the knife. He didn't care about it. He was interested in getting the you know his deal to to, to make. To, to effectively mark the one he believed would bring about his freedom and did, if you did the, you know, as Shara fight, you, it's true, that's exactly what you did, in exchange for Zalatath's freedom. Freedom, Zalatath wanted to be freed of the knife. Uh, we get the, we're getting the sense whatever Zalatath is, if she's some kind of Nashian old god, if she's some sort of embryonic, you know, void entity, she wanted out. The knife felt like, it feels like she was put in the knife against her will. And she wanted out. So she betrayed you to Nazoth in exchange for her freedom. And Nazoth marked you as his champion and sent you off on your way, knowing full well that even if you decided to cleanse yourself, you were still going to do exactly what he wanted you to do to get him free, which you did. Um, he didn't care about the knife. Ashara, however, believed that she could use the knife to kill Nazoth. And in fact, maybe even put him in the knife the same way Zalatath had been put into the knife. I'm not sure. I don't know exactly what she thought was going to happen, but the belief was that the knife, since it was a creation of the old gods, could harm them and even kill them. She had Nathanos use the knife to find... Um, I'm trying to remember the name. Nazjatar. Nazjatar. Uh, she had Nathanos go find Nazjatar with it. Uh, they had arranged for that to happen. That's why the Horde groups wasn't surprised by the big beam shooting up. They, they knew it was going to happen. At least Nathanos did. I think the people on his boats that still ended up getting killed weren't as in, in the know as he yeah. was. But that was his goal, uh, to get there, to make the deal with Ashara. And keep in mind, Ashara took the knife from Nathanos. That was They gave Ashara the knife, and then she made the pact with Sylvanas that she, you know, she destroyed Nazoth, you know, and that would serve both her and Sylvanas's interests. When you free Sylvanas, when you're doing the the Nyalotha raid, you you see the conversation between. I don't think you see it then. I think you actually see it later. I think you see it during the Zoth fight. You see the conversation between Sylvanas and Ashara, 
Mm-hmm. And Ashara is revealed to be completely aware of what Sylvanas is really doing and who she's doing it for. She's not caught off guard by anything. She she is aware of Sylvanas's machinations. She even says, you know, you know, insolent banshee. Do you think I'm on, uh, I'm ignorant of what you're doing? I don't think that's the exact quote, but that's you know, Close that enough. paraphrasing. She's like straight up says, you know, you you think you're playing me? I know what you're doing. You know, and she doesn't. It's clear that Ashara does not care what Sylvanas is doing and does not think it will work. Or if she did, she would be doing something about it. Um, but so that's where the knife comes from. That's how Ashara gets it to give it to you. She gives it to Rathion, obviously, when you free her. Uh, Rathion uses the blade to injure Nazoth, which is what creates the carapace of Nazoth. I'm not 100% sure on the why The fury that of Nazoth, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the carapace is created because Nazoth uses the knife to try and wound... I mean, sorry, Rathian uses the knife to try to wound Nazoth. Mm-hmm. Um, when he does that, the knife blows up. You'll notice the n- knife is never seen again after he does that. You don't see it again. Rathian does not use it again after that. It is gone. Yeah, we don't actually see even pieces of it. We don't know what happened to the blade. Yeah, it's just gone. Uh, whether it's destroyed, uh, thrown up into the sky so far, you never see it again, which would be weird. Um, we just literally have no idea what happened, but it's gone at that point. Yeah, so Zaltath is sort of a weird one in Battle for Azeroth because it, 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 it's all over the place, right? Like, I believe at the start, the whole thing with it is because we're using it to try to gain insight in what the Naga are doing. Uh, then, you know, Collector Kojo had come across the blade uh, in Stormsong Valley. Uh, then we do this whole thing where we help the blade out and, you know, that basically we find out, I think it was the Naga were trying to use it to create like what a massive storm. And all of it just seems really out of place until we finally get to where we grab it free whatever is inside of it because we bring it to that uh, what is that raid place the crucible yeah crucible of storms crucible of storms we bring it to the crucible of storms one of nazoth's lazy eyes decides to go and you know knock it out uh zaltath is is freed and we're left with an empty shell and we bring it back and you know here you go my war chief here you go uh, but- and I think I think that part of the thing is is that the reason the Naga were looking for it, the crazy storm thing otherwise, the reason the Naga were looking for it was because Ashar wanted it to use in her plan. Mm-hmm. Um, I think possibly one of the interesting things here is, did Ashara know that Zalatath, the entity, was no longer in the, the, the dagger? Yeah, and see, that's that the wild change, card. Did that change her plan? Because it feels like she expected it to be much more effective than it actually turned out to be. And that's and that the always, question, right? Like it, that might be a case where Nazoth no, freed the spirit from the blade, knowing it would mean that the blade would not be as effective against it, or to lure her into trying to use it. I honestly don't know. I I don't know what what's up with that. Yeah, and that's that's something I've been thinking about a lot since we freed Zalatath. Because one of the interesting things about it is we know that Zalatath, the physical object is something that was crafted from Nazoth's body, right? It's a piece of the old god, and that was very common for them to do during the time of the Black Empire, is to give pieces of themselves to their devoted followers uh, as weapons or icons of power or, or whatever they were. But Zalatath is the first one that really sort of has a personality that we know of. It's possible that there's others out there, there's other shards or, or, or pieces of old god that are you know, in that same vein. Oh, I gotta, I gotta interrupt you here. Go ahead. We don't know. The thing you just said is not something we know. It is not established that that is the origin of Zalatath. I thought it, it was a theory. No, it is not. There are multiple theories as to where that thing comes from. One theory is that it's a claw of Yashraj. Oh yeah, that's right. We don't know so where it came we don't from. know where it came from. We know that it is somehow related to the old gods. Some people think it's the the it's an actual forgotten old god who the other the others turn tore apart, and you know made stuff out of. That's one theory. One theory is that's the claw of Yashraj. Uh, no one knows. They know it's infused with their power, and it's terrifyingly potent. But we don't know where it comes from. Fair enough. But we know it's an old god piece of some type, 
right? Like, in some way. Yeah. It's, so, it's an old God creation, an old God peace, an old God something. We don't but, know. But the interesting thing is that removal, the removal of the sentience from the blade itself. And that always felt like more important than we actually experienced in game because one, obviously whatever was in it had gained that sort of sentience and wanted to be free. Makes sense. But why would Nazoth grant it its freedom? Why would Nazoth make it a point unless that's the only way that Nazoth could have survived? Because we've seen the old gods in the past. Like we know that they warred with each other. They didn't like each other, but we don't know if they could affect each other in what that sort of meant. Right. Like we know that there's, they went to war. We don't know what they're going to war really meant. Exactly. And that's an interesting point. And I've, I've been thinking about this for a while. Um, Technically speaking, that knife is not Zalatath. No, the entity inside of it was the entity. The thing that's left, the, the spirit that you saw take off, that's Zalatath. The knife without Zalatath, what is it? Does it actually have the power? Obviously, it it created the carapace. Like you know, it, it created the fear. Ah, it's it's just really interesting to think about what that knife is now and what it meant. Does it still have the power that it had before? It doesn't seem like it possibly could. Um, he supposedly kept the knife in the bargain, but then he just didn't care about it. Mm-hmm. You know, he just let it. He let the horde, you know, take it. He let Sylvanas have it. And that's to me, like, every time we do this, I keep thinking back to the fact that, you know, from the beginning, everything we do in that patch, from from the moment we, we find out that, that he's been corrupting the forge from the beginning, and yet we still try to use the forge against him. Mm-hmm. It keeps coming back to the idea that this is all what he wanted us to do. That he was trying to translate himself into a form that could actually affect and control Titan technology. And we did it. We, we hit him with Titan technology until he was supposedly gone. We reformatted him. Uh, it just it keeps coming back to me, that idea. And one of the ways that he could ensure he'd survive is if Zalatath wasn't in the damn dagger anymore. Sorry. Oops, my bad. I think we uh, can do that. that. That's our one for the PG-13 rating. Yeah, but that just keeps coming back to me. I, I, I really don't know. I don't know the answer. As to what Zalatath itself got out of it, well, the, the dagger had been wandering around Azeroth for centuries. Just ask the Dark Iron Dwarves if you want to know what happens if you make up a deal with Zalatath. Um, you, you do really well for a while, and then when you need the dagger, it's gone. Modgood Thorasan found out all too well what happens when you rely on that thing. So... People who trust that dagger, you're doomed. It's going to destroy you. And it's going to laugh as it does. And it's, it's just really fascinating to me, the idea of this. Like, what what's she up to now? What's she doing? What's her plan? And, and the fact that she's, when we see her depart, she's very clearly a spirit. Like, it's not a full body either. Like, there's an etherealness to that form that leaves. Is that something that we're going to see coming up is that something that might be something that shows up in Shadowlands because we again we don't know and it's it's fascinating to me that we just don't we have no idea uh, but the other thing that I was thinking about with with the whole Zalatath thing and and going back to the, the the war with the Black Empire and this is something I've also been considering is if it is a piece of another old god we don't we know that when uh, Amonthul plucked Yashraj out and crushed it and shattered it and caused, you know, it to become the Sean, everything else in between. He wasn't able to destroy it. But what if the other old gods could actually subsume the others? And maybe that was why if there, if Zalateth was a piece of sentience from another old God, like you said, like maybe a forgotten old God or one of the others or whatever the case is, if Azjara knew that, and that's what she was banking on, to me that would be a good way or a good reason why Nazoth would go, I'll let you out. That's fine. I, I, I don't need you to be in this thing because I need other things to happen. I'm just kind of curious if the blade didn't actually get destroyed or get 
or, or become disappeared or whatever the case is, I'm wondering if the blade was just consumed by Nazoth and what we faced wasn't a creation of the blade. It was a smoke screen. It wasn't this created the fury of Nazoth because that entire encounter, everything that the last two encounters in that raid are, are, are sort of, they don't feel like a weakened Nazoth. Like you said, everything we were doing just feels like it's, it's what Nazoth wanted. And those two fights feel like that as well, because okay, it's a bunch of tentacles and eyeballs. And then all of a sudden there's a knife in the eye and then magically a piece of rage is born and comes out of nowhere, but we've been an entire raid where Nazoth has been basically birthing gibbering horrors from its body the entire time. Everything we fight, except for like Vexiona is gifted or, or in some way birth from Nazoth, the bugs, those are birthed from Nazoth. Just like we talked about the Akir and, and, and everything else beforehand. Those are birthed by the old gods. Uh, so why why would Zalatath, why would that, that action matter at that point? And it just seemed so weird to me because it just seems like, okay, well, I'm just going to spawn this thing. And then even when we go into the encounter with like Nazoth at the very, very end, we're going into his brain room, but we've done that in the past. And he would know we've done that in the past because... It knows everything we've done. It's been watching us. It's been keeping tabs on us. So why are we in its brain room again? It just, everything seemed way too convenient. And I, again, you've said this before, Matt, and it's something I agree with. We don't actually beat the old gods. And I think Nazoth is sort of the penultimate example of that. Well, that's the whole thing. Nazoth from the beginning was the clever one because it was less powerful. That's the thing. Zalatath even says that back in Legions. Like, you know, oh, imagine of all the old gods, the least among them should be the one to remain. And that's why I don't think that Zalatath is any part of Nazoth. The contempt that Zalatath feels for Nazoth is amazing. I think, I'm going to just call it now. I think Zalatath is Yashraj. Okay. Yeah, well, which would make sense, right? I think that it is when Yashraj got torn apart, a piece of him remained and was eventually made into a blade. And that blade, saying it is Yashraj is like saying that my big toe, if my big toe grew a new body in essence, was me. It came from me, but it feels like Zalatath's his own being, but that Zalatath retained that contempt. That's like a universal contempt that they all felt for, for Nazoth. Nazoth was the least among them and thus had to be the cleverest, had to outmaneuver them because it couldn't defeat them in straight up combat. And what's really weird is when you go to the Dragon Soul, we're going all the way back to Dragon Soul here for this. The armies of Nazoth are attacking it. Mm-hmm. Those are Nazoth servants you're fighting when you go into Dragon Soul. Yeah, and that's the that's first time you've of, ever experienced anything involving the name Nazoth, right? Yeah, and it's you'll notice that there's the two big, uh, like the like, um, oh bloody heck, I never remember the name of them. The Kithix is one of them. Uh, Zakajaz is the other. The the Chithraxi. He's got his two main Chithraxi there attacking the 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 the, uh, the Dragon Temple, and all of this. You know, that's that's like what from the beginning he's been setting this up. From the beginning he's been attacking Titan facilities. Uh, you know, setting up his forces, getting us to do the thing that we did that we knew he wanted us to do. He we know he was trying to corrupt the Forge, and we. Like, I don't know, I never see us do anything that cleanses the Forge. No, and even, even like, our initial thing, like, as we're working with Rathion, Rathion basically just helps open a door to invite him in. That's the whole thing. It's how Rod N gets pulled, right? That's, that's, yeah. that's the whole thing. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not counting his off out anytime soon. No, I don't think it's the last we've seen of, of them at all. And I definitely think we're going to see Zalatath again, and when we do, it will not be good for us. Um, so yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I honestly can't wait for Zalatath to come back because it's going to be interesting times to be a player. All right. Our next question comes from Styrian, a blood elf mage on Anvilmar. Hello lads. Do you think Maeve's crimes will ever be fully addressed? 
It was a great read, but I can't get past it being ignored. Keep up the good work. Uh, I think the most you're going to get, at least for a while, is the bit where Maiev is like, um, you sure you want me to be in charge? We didn't really, uh, and Taronda's like, yeah, it doesn't matter anymore. And I think that Taronda, that, that's obviously, I'm going to, I feel like that's obviously a case where the, the guys at Blizzard realized, okay, this is not something we can deal with now. We don't have space in this current narrative for an actual moment of, of clearing this up. But we're going to acknowledge that that happened. They did that in Legion too. They had a throwaway bit where Jared finds Maiev, mm-hmm. as when you're, you know, and he basically says, you know, "She's like, you know, you remember what I did." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, you're out of your mind. We'll we'll talk about it later." Uh, I think it's very much a case where between the Legion invasion and then the destruction of Teldrassil, the the leadership of the Night Elves is like, well, yeah, she's a lunatic, but we're pretty sure she'll back us over the the undead. And that's good enough right now. And I mean, and so. honestly, that would the leadership actually even bother saying that? Because Maeve is sort of the mentality that I think they would latch on to at this point, especially with everything that's happened to Rond in particular. Well, that's the thing too. I do think Rond has moved closer to Maya's point of view. Like, Maev was very much opposed to the, the entire alliance. She didn't oh, yeah. understand why we were working with them. And I think Taranda is now starting to feel like, yeah, what do they do for us? What good have they done for us? Like when this happened to us and you know, I went to them for help and she didn't, they didn't provide it. You know, what, what use is Anduin Rin to me and to my people? And I, I obviously not everyone feels that way. Shandris is like, look, they took us in. You know, she she tries to moderate it, and clearly, Shandris is the main night elf figure who is working with the alliance at that time. Maev clearly does not feel that way, and I mean, keep in mind, like the one person, the people who'd be the most angry at what Maev did are Gengray Main because she was framing his people for it, Varian Rin, who is not around anymore, and Taronda Whisperwind. Uh, Taronda clearly has other problems now. Gen, I feel like Gen basically doesn't really. He's also focused on other things. So yeah, Maev. I mean, yeah, that should there should at some point be a bit where we deal with what happened, but I honestly feel like it would almost be better at this point if it's just if if it's dealt with by Maev herself. Like, because one of the weird things is Maev is now in a position of authority. Yeah. And it's a position of authority. She used to head just the Watchers. Now she's essentially, like, overall commander of the Night Elf forces. Mm-hmm. I mean, and she's leapfrogged over Chandris, who was the head of the Sentinel Army. She's now, like, effectively number two. She's just under Taronda. And that's interesting. And that's something I'd like to see them explore more. I don't think we're going to see it in Shadowlands. Uh, no. It looks like Taronda's story in Shadowlands is very much about the Arden world. Um, but I do think at some point it would be cool to see. Yeah. And I, and I agree. And it's been one of the more interesting things like, and, and to hear players talk about the crimes of Maeve, they were, as time has gone on, it's one of those things where if you look at sort of like the scale of awfulness of things that have occurred, yeah, the stuff she did was not great, but it also isn't the worst thing that has happened by an order of magnitude, right? Like, and that's something to sort of keep in mind. And, and we talked about like shifting perspectives as particularly with like Tyrande and now Malfurion too. Cause look at Malfurion was very, very much a, I care about Druid things and only Druid things. Everything else is whatever, you know, all throughout even Legion. Like he cared more about, you know, the druidry side of things and keeping Azeroth safe than anything to do with the Alliance. Well, now with Teldrassil burning, with the War of the Thorns, with everything that happened and everything that happened in between, and now the ascension of Tehran, and Maeve helped with that. Don't forget, like, we helped Maeve and uh, I believe it was Chandris find the Eye of Loon, right? Like, that was what was necessary to do the whole ritual, we helped with that. That's now we have Trond who 
is the Night Warrior who survived closer to Maeve in sort of like her personality understands a little bit more about where Maeve comes from. Even I would argue Malfurion does, especially after the incredible amount of loss and pain that he's felt. Like, I don't think any of them are going to care. I don't think you're ever going to see a reckoning for Maeve because at this point they understand her point of view better than they ever have before. They understand her desire to not be in the Alliance. They understand, you know, her sort of mistrust of, you know, at basically everything and why, because at the end of the day, she wants to keep, she wanted to keep her people safe. And so does Tyrande, and so does Malfurion. And now they have a whole different position to look at that. And I think that we'll see Maeve again in the future. I think that we'll, she'll probably be there at whatever the conclusion of Tehran's story is. But I don't think you're ever going to see a reckoning for her crimes because I don't think they're considered crimes anymore. I don't think they care. So Yeah, I think that the attempt to assassinate Malfurion, it's definitely something she did and i don't think that malfurion just skated on that i just think that i honestly feel like right now there are more important issues yeah but I she also... just wanted to kill malfurion's like she wanted to kill me not yeah. my people yeah and and you know there, there's also the fact is that she she did all that over the highborn readmittance which at this point i don't think even she's thinking about like yes the highborn were bringing magic back but clearly that's less important than all this other stuff happening. So I don't know. I don't know if it'll ever, if it's just forgiven uh, so much as I think it just isn't something they're going to deal with for any time soon. Well, that's fair. And I think that's going to wrap us up for questions uh, as far as this episode goes. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Matt, I'm going to do a final question here for you today, and it's going to be about Night Owls because I know how much you love them. If you were to have a post-Shadowlands story, because like you said, I don't think we're going to be dealing a whole lot with it in Shadowlands, and let's say not necessarily an all-out war with the Horde, what sort of closure or what sort of next step would you like to see specifically with the Night Elves, with their society? Well, it's not closure, but one of the things I've been thinking about for a long time is we right now have these two streams of like ideas of how the Night Elves should progress forward. We've got Chandris, who's arguing for inter integration with the Alliance and continuing to work with the Alliance. And we've got Maiev, who's very much like, you know, just let's let's get revenge. And Taronda, who's sort of right now going towards Maiev's direction. But Taronda has been like a mother to Chandris for like 10,000 years. So I want to see a storyline that deals with those interpersonal relationships and, you know, what happens if Chandris eventually decides I can't work like my, I can't work in these this way anymore that, that, you know, the way they want to go is going to lead to another war. What does she do? You know, does she turn against them? Does she attempt to like take over the, the night elves for herself against like her own mother, who is also effectively the chosen of their God or, you know, does she fall in line? You know, and for that matter, I'd like to see them deal with the stuff Maev did. Like, I think that would be interesting, even if it's just Maev, because Maev seems repentant when you, when you find her in Legion. Yeah, when she's in the Black Rock Hold, right? She seems like she's like after what I did, you know. And he's like, you know, that's let's not worry about that right now. You weren't you weren't correct. I want to see like at some point, you know, Illidan comes back and he's like accepted because the Legion's there. And they fight the Legion together, and then he leaves. But he had her tortured. You know, she was locked up in a cage by him. And he had her tortured for her what she did to him, for her locking him up for 10,000 years. But he was locked up for what he'd done. You know? He was locking her up to punish her for his punishment. Like, there's there's some there's a unresolved stuff there that needs to be dealt with. I'd like to see them deal with that. Like, the idea that underneath it all, Maiev is... is somebody who has been through a lot she's lost people who are very important to her she saw her brother almost get murdered by illidan she saw uh, nisha get murdered by illidan 
She had to leave her behind. Uh, she like lost Sarah. You know, like when 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 you go through the end of the the, the bit where Taranda becomes the Night Warrior, she's like says, "Where's Sarah?" And and you know, Taranda goes, "You know, we must speak alone." And so you don't get to see Maev get that news. You don't get to see the the, the meeting between Taranda and Maev, where Maev accepts command of the Alliance forces uh, in the battle for Darkshore. What did Taranda say to her? Mm-hmm. What did they say to each other? Did like imagine? I would love if they'd done a short story about that meeting. Oh yeah, imagine, absolutely. You know, going all the way back to the fact that Maev. By all rights, Maev expected to be high priest when when Dahan died. Maev was a far senior priestess to Taranda. Maev was in line to become the, the high priest, and then Alun just chose Taranda, leaving Maev's entire life and ambitions in the dust. And she became the, the warden because she had to do something. Like, there's There's a ton there between those two characters I'd love to see explored. You know, like it, was the fact, it was the fact that Maya was a priestess that allowed her to know what the f was going on when Taranda started doing the Night Warrior thing. That's why Maya knew what she was doing because Maya knew about the ritual. She was a priestess. Imagine like how it must feel to see somebody get the life you thought you were going to live, and then like now this is where they are, and you have to report to that person for ten thousand years, and she killed your followers. To let Illidan out in the first place? You know, there's a lot there that I'd love to see explored. Yeah, and it, I agree. It's definitely something that I would love to see a little bit more of. I want I want the Night Elves to sort of have their time in, in, in the limelight a little bit after everything that happened, especially with, you know, the amount of growth we've had over two expansions now with these characters. And there's been a lot of growth. I agree. I would absolutely love to see so much more uh, with with that done. At least not like not necessarily closure, but I'd love to see more inside, like what what their heads are, what where they're at, what's going on. I think they deserve it. So with that, everybody, thank you very much for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>